Hello and welcome to College Football Winning Edge, the podcast edition. I'm your host, Scott Bogman. You can find me on the Twitter at Bogman Sports. And I'm joined, as always, by Nicholas Ian Allen, the owner and proprietor of CFB Winning Edge, and Xavier Trish. You can find them both on Twitter at CFB Winning Edge and at Xavier underscore Trish, T-R-I-C-H-E. Nick, how was your week 10? I think I actually got the week right this time. <laughs> it was a, a fairly laid back week, I think. It it was a uh, uh, it you know pretty light slate had like thirty five teams on a bye. Um, really, only a couple of mega matchups, uh, ranked opponents uh, meeting, and and so it was uh, it was fairly laid back. It took a little while to get going. The noon slate was very slow. Uh, probably the the slowest window I've experienced this this year so far. But uh, overall, you know, we we were treated to some good games, some some close games. We learned a little bit about some teams. We we're able to get maybe a closer look at some teams uh, than we had in previous weeks, like SMU and Memphis being on the big stage. So uh, overall, you know, it's every week's a good week, and uh, it was uh, it was fun. Good good chance to to check out some different teams and, and concentrate maybe a little harder on some of the teams that get overlooked from week to week. Xavier, is there a nicer way of saying that uh, week 10 was boring than what Nick just did? No, there's not, but you know, Nick is the rel- is a resident nice guy on this, on this podcast. <laughs> he, he, he keeps fans, you know, at bay before you and I just can just slaughter them for the fun of it. Um, <laughs> but no, uh, week 10 for me, obviously was a blast. Um, you know, or excuse me, week nine. But uh, yeah, the games, I, I didn't get the opportunity to watch a lot of the games. Um, I was working the Auburn Ole Miss game, which was another one of those games that was way too close this week for me. Uh, but my upset list was terrible. I only got one out of, I think, five that I picked. Um, and for most of the upsets that I chose, I think only two of the games were, were, were within five points. The rest of them were absolute blowouts. It was, I mean, it, it was an okay week, um, but but happy now to have some better ranked versus ranked games going into this week. Absolutely. Well, this week seems like the biggest week in, uh, you know, college football for the year. We have so many huge games, but before we get to those, of course, we have to reflect on what we did last week. So, what did the overall numbers before we dig into the games we looked at? How did the overall numbers look, Nick? <laughs> uh, pretty boring, pretty, pretty much online with the rest of the week, I guess. Uh, it was pretty much every category that, uh, I look at finished just about 50, 50, nothing special. Um, overall we were right at 500, uh, even the wrong team favored, uh, those were at 500, two and two on those. Um, so Interesting that we've got eight of those games this week, so I'm I'm uh, certainly going to be uh, anticipating, you know, watching watching a lot of the, those games closely this week. A lot of opportunities there for uh, what we think are, you know, the 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 games maybe where we have our biggest edge when our uh, favorite differs from the the Las Vegas odds makers. So uh, be taking a, a close look on that. Pretty long list, but overall, last week nothing special. Yeah, I mean. And these games that we picked, I mean, NC State at Wake Forest turned into a blowout rather quickly. We know NC State was on their third-string quarterback here. So uh, 44-10, to Leary, 17-45, 149 yards and two picks. But uh, 
I mean, just a stomping for Wake Forest here, Nick. Uh, what did you see in this one? Yeah, I mean, it, it was good to see. One, I don't think we talked about it this time. We talked about it the previous time that uh, Wake Forest was coming off a bye. But uh, Dave Clawson, for whatever reason, has a, a terrible career record uh, when his team has an extra week to prepare. And, and there's no telling why that is. It could just be random. Uh, but... Uh, for whatever reason, he's he's been like one and eight or, or something like that um, for his entire career in that situation, which is not, you know, usually you think you have an extra week that gives you an advantage. Well, something, you know, for whatever reason, things have gone wrong during the, the bye week and that extra week to prepare. So it was good to see Wake Forest, you know, come out and really dominate an opponent and you know we projected that game to be pretty close uh we thought it'd be pretty high scoring uh it was for one team and you know jamie (laughs) newman looked looked great um did you know looked fully healthy uh didn't show any effects that i saw of of uh you know what kept him uh on the sidelines the the previous week so uh excited you know to to see him the rest of uh, the season, and, and hopefully he'll be coming back as a senior next year. I think he'll be, um, you know, on on the short list probably of of the most exciting quarterbacks in the country if he if he does come back. So uh, big win for Wake. They're seven and one now, three and one in the conference. Um, you know, they they have a lot of their goals probably have already met, but but even more that are still uh, within reach. So pretty impressive win uh, for the Deeks for sure. What do you think of this one, Xavier? Um, for me, it really just gave me hope that the ACC championship game might actually be fun to watch um, and that the ACC actually has some decent teams. Uh, Wake Forest, obviously, I was going to be very – when Nick said that they were only seven-point favorites, it, it was very underwhelming for me. Um, and I'm happy that Wake Forest went out and did what they did because if they did only beat NC State by seven, then I would have thought that 20 – I think it was 23rd ranking at the time – would have felt a little bit too much for them. Um, but they showed that they were not only worth the 23rd ranking, but obviously worth uh, maybe being a little bit higher on lists uh, than uh, what's currently constructed. Uh, but they played really well. And Newman continues to be one of my favorite players in college football right now. Um, I know his draft stock is probably like on a complete ascension at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, and like Nick said, he's going to come back for one more year. And it definitely makes Nick, a, uh, not Nick, but Wake Forest a viable <laughs> contender for uh, the ACC next year um, with him coming, if, if he decides to come back. Uh, but yeah, I mean, all good things going for the Deeks right now. So yeah, and it makes that uh, the matchup, not this week, but next week uh, with Clemson um, actually look kind of formidable. So um, I'm excited to see what the Deacons have going forward. And hopefully they can continue rolling this week against Virginia Tech. Uh, Nick is always in contention. That's what I've always said. That's right. He's always I'm always right a threat. That's right. Always a threat. Uh, Utah yeah. uh, beat Washington 33-28. Uh, this one, <laughs> I hear the frustration already. Uh, Nick, w- what did you see in number nine Utah beating Washington? Because we had it the opposite way here. We did, yeah. And, and so that was definitely a disappointment when considering it was a game that we had Washington favored. Um, and it looked pretty good early. I mean, uh, before we hit record, Xavier was talking a little bit, bemoaning his, uh, his upset list and how, uh, a lot of them looked good early in the game. And, and this was one of those Washington came out, 
looked like they were in control, uh, you know, the entire first quarter uh, and, and really kind of, you know, held the tempo for probably the first three quarters until uh, Utah just wore them down. And, and uh, good to see Zach Moss, you know, come back. He, he really uh, sort of put the offense on his back in a lot of ways, ended up uh, with 100 yards and a touchdown and, and uh, has really been involved in the passing game the last few weeks, had five catches uh, more than anybody else uh, on uh, on the squad. So uh, a couple of touchdowns and, and a all-around good performance for him. I mean, he's he's not flashy. He's not super fast, but he's incredibly hard to tackle and, and uh, just a solid, solid player. So uh, good to see a good effort from him. And, and Tyler Huntley looked good again, um, shaking off injuries from, from a couple of weeks ago. So uh, Utah, you know, if, if you're a Pac-12 fan, you're, you're – uh, happy that Utah survived this one. You're, you're probably hoping that they win out the regular season and that Oregon wins out uh, and those two meet in a, a pretty high stakes Pac-12 championship game. So, uh, you know, uh, on that note, it was good to see. Um, and, and, you know, I, I've been on record as being really high on Utah overall. So in the long, you know, in the, in the grand scheme, uh, happy to see Utah win and, and potentially, you know, maybe they're still out there lurking and, and have a chance maybe to sneak into the playoff. And, you know, they're great on the defensive line. If they were able to get an opportunity, they could uh, make some of those top tier teams sweat a little bit. Yeah, I mean, they look good in this one, Xavier. Did you get a chance to see this uh, Washington and Utah matchup? I went back and watched a lot of the highlights, um, a lot of the games I did not get to see this week, unfortunately. But what I will say is that I literally said before, last week when we talked about this game that I thought Washington could come out and beat Utah. My only fear was that they weren't going to be able to finish this ball game. And lo and behold, they, they, they come out, they start good, and, and everything goes to shambles all of a sudden. And they, they blow what looks like to be a comfortable lead. Utah storms back with the Zach Moss show. And uh, Washington loses another one. I think this is the th- the third game that they've lost by less than a touchdown in mm. uh, this year. Uh, Cal, Oregon, and now this one. And, and it just makes you think that if this team had a little bit more veteran leadership, where Washington would be. Uh, all kudos to Utah, though. Definitely, if you're a Pac-12 fan, it makes it, it, it you know it gives you life, obviously, um, with having two teams in the top ten now possibly paying for the championship. It makes that game important, um, which, you know, it being on Friday also makes it, you know, nationally already. So, I mean, you know, kudos to Utah. And, and I, I like Tyler Huntley and Zach Moss. So the, the better the, the better that they do, the more excited I am for what they could possibly do going forward. So Now moving on to the big AAC matchup between SMU and Memphis. Memphis won 54-48. to the game wasn't really that close. This was the nope. Antonio Gibson show where he did just absolutely everything for Memphis here, Nick. Uh, I mean, you had Memphis winning in a tight one, which is what it ended up being, but a little higher scoring than we predicted. Yeah, and, and uh, you know, a great showcase game for the city of Memphis and the AAC and, and uh, you know, good for them to get a win. That AAC West is uh, really going to be an exciting uh, one to watch the the rest of the way because uh, Memphis has one loss, SMU has one loss, and Navy, which uh, we forget probably from time to time, is actually in the West uh, in in that division. They only have one loss, so 
uh, pretty, you know, interesting how that thing is going to shake out the rest of the way. Tulane is uh, bowl eligible already, and and so uh, should be a lot of fun down the stretch. Uh, Antonio Gibson, <laughs> yeah, you're absolutely right. Memphis, it, it seems that these guys just sort of come out of nowhere. They've always got somebody that's going to make a big, uh, big return. Uh, uh, that's going to be you know a threat both out of the backfield and uh, as a receiver I mean Kenneth Gainwell was mainly the guy for most of this year he was kind of quiet in this game only 88 yards on 21 carries did get in the end zone but uh, they shut him down you know as a receiver out of the backfield but obviously Antonio Gibson was able to, to come out and put up 130 receiving yards uh, had a huge 78 yard run and, and the return for a touchdown. So uh, incredible game for him. Brady White had a good game. Uh, also, Demonte Coxey, the wide receiver there, had a, had a huge game. So all the all the Memphis playmakers, you know, played their role and they got a little bit extra out of Gibson. Uh, so really great to see SMU. It's unfortunate Reggie Roberson wasn't able to play. Mm-hmm. Uh, James Prochet actually even also got banged up, but still was able to catch 13 passes. Um, and uh, that Rashi Rice uh, was pretty impressive as well. So SMU's got a long list of playmakers. Uh, Freeman, uh, two touchdowns. Jones had a touchdown, uh, you know, uh, on the ground. So uh, both of these offenses were, were really doing some good things. Obviously Memphis uh, jumped out uh, to, to, you know, a, a, built a big enough lead that SMU's comeback uh, fell short, but very entertaining game and, and a good showcase for both teams. Uh, Xavier, like, like uh, Nick said, entertaining at the very least, even if you're not a fan of uh, AAC football and you're just watching this one because it was on TV uh, fun game to watch nonetheless, right? Yeah, I think for a lot of people who were confused as to why game day went there, I think that AAC did a really good job and SMU and Memphis did a really good job of showing out for the conference. Um, I was at the Auburn game at this time and a lot of uh, I heard a lot of grumbling uh, from people who were like, really, game day was there this week. Um, and, and honestly, they, they, you know, I think they shut a lot of those people up. I mean, it was a good it was a good game of football. Um, now, obviously, if you love defense, this wasn't for you. But um, but the AAC has never been a juggernaut of a conference when it comes to defense. Let's just be honest here. Um, and, yeah, for SMU, they just left it a little bit too late. Maybe if they had a fifth quarter in football, this game might have been completely different. Also, if that was the case, they probably would have combined for a buck 50. Or they probably a also wouldn't total. call them quarters. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, it's uh, SMU left a little bit too late. Uh, they kind of have done that in a lot of games this year. They got lucky doing that against Tulsa, um, taking that game finally into overtime and being able to pull it out there. Uh, but Memphis just had too much in the tank, and uh, also being at home definitely helped. Um, but, yeah, I, I, good showing for the AAC, and both of those teams are really good. But, yeah, Nick, you're, you're absolutely right. You alluded to the, the way that the standings are right now. The, a, the AAC West is going to be fun to watch down the stretch here. Now, Nick, in the Oregon at USC game, you perfectly nailed USC score. They did have 24. That's what you had them predicted at. But you shorted Oregon three touchdowns here. 56 <laughs> to 24 was the final here. Oregon absolutely crushed uh, USC. And not surprising to see them win, but maybe surprising to see them dominate in this fashion. Well, in, in fairness, 
Uh, perhaps maybe I only shorted them one touchdown because they did get a pick six and they also got one on special teams. So oh, well, those don't uh, count. haven't haven't fully <laughs> you know cracked the code on on uh, projecting those. It's, what? it's very difficult. I know turnovers and and special teams. <laughs> we can't really handicap those. But uh, you know anyway, it, it was a it was a solid performance. Uh, USC has been really good at home all year, and it looked like early on you know they jumped out to a ten nothing lead it looked like uh this was going to be another really uh tough game and an opportunity for usc to to jump up and and upset somebody they already have a win over utah so we know that they can compete you know with just about anybody um but uh, for oregon it was great to see uh them bounce back again you know same same talking point as we said with with utah if you're a pac-12 fan you you want both of these teams uh to to run the table and and meet in that uh championship game and oregon was able to get two huge plays in the second quarter uh first the pick six then they gave up an immediate uh touchdown which was a, a letdown but then to come back and and uh, return that kickoff uh for a touchdown right before halftime really just took momentum all the way back and and basically uh, it felt like that was the knockout blow Oregon just dominated from that point um you know Justin Herbert was was solid he wasn't spectacular but um Jawan Johnson, you know, had three touchdowns. Those two connected uh, for for three touchdowns, and and uh, that's big because Oregon has been incredibly banged up at, at the receiving core this year. They've had a, a one of their uh, expected to be one of their top guys transfer. Uh, Johnson was hobbled. You know, he didn't even play for the first six or seven games and and uh the last couple of weeks he's, he's been working himself back into the rotation and and it looks like now maybe uh he's healthy at the right time to to be here for the stretch run give them a, a big play receiver and a guy that can go up and get it because they're also you know pretty small uh it, it receiver um in in some ways they've been relying on some of the smaller guys red and and uh um uh, it, it escapes me at the moment. Uh, Johnny Johnson's not not big, so uh, for Jawan Johnson to to come out and, and have a big game like that, I think is is great moving forward. And uh, the Oregon defense, obviously, uh, not as dominant maybe as they had been in the past. We we talked about they are somewhat susceptible uh, in the passing game, but they were able to have uh, three picks of uh, Keaton Slovis in this game, which was huge. Took one of them back uh, for that big touchdown. So uh, impressive win for Oregon. Looks great. You know, scrolling on the uh, the bottom line, 56-24 uh, for the Ducks. That that's a that's a good resume uh, score for them. So uh, impressive moving forward. And and uh, again, if you're uh, rooting for the Pac-12, you're, you're hoping that they can continue it uh, through to the championship game. Xavier, what do you see in this uh, fun Pac-12 matchup here? Yeah, I, I saw somewhat of, the, uh, of a similar situation here, which I was just happy to finally see Oregon kind of flex its muscles. Um, you've, we've been kind of waiting, waiting to see them do that all year against a team that was maybe, you know, thought of as their equal or just below. Um, and I was waiting for Oregon to really kind of flex its muscles um, all year against uh, against a team like this. And they did so. And, and I think that it bodes well for them going forward. It's a big resume builder for them, um, especially coming off of just beating Washington State the week before. Um, obviously, you had rumblings of whether or not they deserve to be in the top 10. Um, you know, like I said, I thought they were going to be upset on the road. So obviously, you know, a lot of the country also felt that way as 
uh, too. But for them to go into Southern Cal and and blow them out and do it pretty handedly uh, was, was definitely has to be a confidence booster for them as well as you know uh, the commissioner of the Pac-12 as well, um, who's obviously looking for them to be their you know either them or Utah to be their um, their CFP representative. Um, the only thing I will say about Oregon that kind of worries me is that com- coming into this year they have the number one ranked offensive line. And I've kind of been waiting for their their running game to have an explosion. Um, and you would think that in a 56-24 blowout that their running game per, performed pretty well. Um, but they only ran for uh, right over 120-ish yards. Uh, and the only touchdowns came from Justin Herbert on the ground and Jalen Red. Um, none from Travis Dye, none from Darian Felix, and none from C.J. Verdell. I- I'm kind of waiting to see that, that, vault, that, that offensive line really flex its muscles and and you know be the show that they're the number one offensive line in the country um at least that we have them ranked in our numbers um and so that's the only worry i would take from here um that they couldn't run the ball in the sc team um that they clearly were better than better than on the night um but that other than that that's just me being picky um oregon came out there and did what they were supposed to do now the game i know that both you guys want to talk about a ton here is uh georgia over florida 24 to 17. <laughs> uh, Georgia over Florida, 24 17 here. And Nick, you had it predicted almost perfectly. You had a seven point game. You had a 27 20, but uh, the Bulldogs won by a touchdown. That's exactly what you had. Yeah, and, and I was really pleased to see that it played out similar to the way that. I thought it would, and and uh, we talked last week. I I was uh, a bit perplexed as to why uh, people just had completely given up on Georgia. I mean, we had seen uh, in years past, you know, teams would lose somewhat unexplicably uh, to an unranked team or or you know what have you, and and uh, still you know be able to challenge for a playoff spot. But it seemed like you know Georgia lost to South Carolina. And then they were off, and then they had, uh, or excuse me, then they played Kentucky in, a, in mm. just a slop fest, and then they were off, and so they were a little bit off the the radar a little bit. And and looking back at the stats at Kentucky, they were obviously uh, really really bad offensively, but a lot of that had to do with the weather. And and that game, I if I remember correctly, was up against you know maybe another uh, rank versus rank matchup in, in prime time. So not a lot of eyeballs probably saw it live, and and maybe just didn't go back and and pay close attention. So um, I, I feel like people had sort of abandoned Georgia almost uh, really without, you know, that they, they did not deserve um, such scrutiny. And, and I know uh, there seemed to be a lot of scrutiny on Jake Fromm. Uh, it was good to see him bounce back. Uh, 9.3 yards per pass attempt is, is really quite Lawrence good. Lawrence Cager. Uh, Lawrence Cager, yeah. you know, I was talking about Jawan Johnson. Lawrence Cager, same thing. Great to see him healthy. Uh, he is a big target. Uh, seven catches, you know, that that's that's huge. Had a 52-yard 50, touchdown. Um, great to see him back if you're a Georgia fan for sure. Uh, and, and one guy that his, his stats do not uh, stand out, but Brian Harrion, backup running back, uh, you know, only had – 13 rushing yards on, on seven carries and only had 46 receiving yards. Uh, but uh, four catches did, did some really, you know, had some uh, important yardage at, at certain times, had an incredible catch, yes. uh, just highlight worthy cre- catch that just 
somewhat unbelievable he was able to to you know get his hands uh under the ball so uh impressive performance for him you you always like to have a, a guy that you can lean on in a in a uh you know, in a pinch, and, and he's that kind of guy. He's a, a secondary option out of the backfield and, and can do some things when he's given an opportunity. So uh, Georgia's offensive line was great, didn't allow a single sack, uh, really, you know, gave Fromm just a ton of time to throw. So it really shouldn't be a surprise that he was able to find his 6'5 target in Lawrence Cager, you know, seven times and, and check it down to Harry and, and, and things like that. That was uh, very, very impressive uh, performance by the offensive line there. Um, and, and uh, you know, defensively, Florida couldn't run the ball. We knew that was an issue coming in, but uh, they just, they, they almost didn't even try it. At, you know, they, they only had 19 uh, rushing attempts and uh, several of those were uh, sacks. So uh, 21 yards, 1.1 yards a carry, very impressive for the Georgia defense. Overall, solid performance. And, and I would say that this one probably wasn't even as close as the score would indicate. This this did not seem like a one-possession game. Florida got a, a late touchdown and, and made it closer maybe than it should have been. But uh, overall, came away pretty impressed with Georgia. I think they're definitely going to be in the mix uh, the rest of the way. And if they win the East, they, they have a chance to, to play themselves into the championship game because obviously they'll be against uh, either Alabama or Florida um, if, you know, assuming or Alabama or LSU, assuming everything, you know, plays out well, probably going to have uh, one loss between the two teams, maybe two in the in that championship game. So winner should be in in, in the uh, playoff and uh, Georgia's right where they want to be. Xavier, I mean, that was the. Uh, I would call Nick's analysis the fair and balanced analysis. Now, what do you have to say about Georgia and beating Florida? I, w- I won't go. I won't go too outlandish here. Um, <laughs> I, I, I'll try to keep it as composed as possible. But um, what what I loved most about this game was I think Jake Fromm looked um, as comfortable I think as he has all year in this ball game. He kind of got back to what I like to call Fromm ball, which is you never go broke taking a profit. Um, he got back to hitting the check down. He got back to hitting, you know, even if it was five yards at a time, that that he he continued to stay in front of the sticks. Um, and we've seen him this year, you know, sometimes try to force the big plays or or force the uh, the play, you know, 10, 15 yards downfield where he had guys five and six yards in front of him, and he just stayed in front of the sticks, and that made it so easy. And and for and for a game that we didn't run the ball particularly well, especially to start off. Um, you know, I think going into the second quarter, it was like seven rushing yards for Georgia. And I think it was maybe, you know, negative three for Florida. It, it, it was, it was in, in the trenches. It was hard to make anything move. Um, and you saw from just take what he could get. Um, and eventually that just made the defense play in. And, and then when he was able to take a shot, he took it, um, for the defense. I think this defense for me, this was the game I was waiting to see whether or not the defense was legit. And, the biggest reason for that was is I felt like we played a lot of teams who uh, we could easily hold under 20 points, but I've seen Florida do really great things against uh, decent defenses, particularly LSU, where they pretty much were in a shootout with them for you know three and a half quarters. Um, I think they really made Kyle Trask uncomfortable in the pocket, even when they didn't get to them get to him, they made him uncomfortable. Um, you know, forced him into some tough throws, forced him. You know, that fourth down attempt at the beginning of the game, I think, really solidified what Georgia's defense was going to do. They didn't believe that the receivers could beat them deep, and they were going to force Florida to you know beat them with ten play seventy five yard drives. 
and Florida showed an inability to do that um, for the most part in the second half. And yeah, I think Georgia played its best game of the season all around, special teams wise. We didn't miss a field goal or an extra point. So uh, Rodrigo Blake and Ship, you know, did his job as well. So best game for Georgia going forward. They just have to continue to do what they're doing. Um, you know, all signs point to Atlanta, but you can still mess up here and miss out on a CFP opportunity um, if you were to lose another game. Uh, I think even if they lose, as long as it's not to Missouri, they're still in because of the head-to-head. Um, but they still need to go ahead and if they want, if CFP is the goal, then they need to continue to win and win big. So. Making an impact. That's the big thing here. Now, mm-hmm. one game that we didn't mention um, that I think needs to be brought up before we move over to our Week 11 matchups is uh, Miami beating Florida State and Willie Taggart getting fired. So, hey, hey, <laughs> I mean, maybe, yeah, let's just go to Xavier first on this one and let him, uh, you know, shoot off his fireworks. So uh, what did you think about Taggart getting fired? It was about time. I mean, honestly, even if he made it through this year, I thought they should have fired him. Um, he didn't have the players. Um, I don't think that he had – he obviously didn't have the university um, on his back uh, – on his side, excuse me. And this was the game that culminated all. Uh, you're playing a Miami team who has relatively looked pedestrian all year. Um, you guys both are talented bunches who – haven't been able to figure it out and instead of going out there and look and playing hard and, and and you know trying to look good at times they just didn't at, at, at no point in that game did i think florida state and, and uh florida state had an opportunity to really put it uh, you know force miami to do anything that they didn't want to do miami pretty much handled this game and i i just the, the the best way of watching this game for me is I didn't get to watch it by eyes, but I just watched it on Twitter. And I follow a lot of Florida State and Miami fans, and both parties were just like, Miami's dominating. And Florida State fans were fed up. Um, Willie Taggart, you've been on the hot seat all year. Um, you've been on the hot seat since, shoot, your first year there. Um, it's just, you know, I think he should have stayed at Oregon. It was unfortunate that he got put in a situation that he did, having to come behind Jimbo, who had obviously led them to a national championship. But it's time for Florida state to get back to being prominent and being a contender in the ACC. And the sooner that they got rid of Taggart, the faster they were going to be able to do it. So hopefully they can go ahead and turn the ship around now. And Nick, your thoughts on Taggart being canned. Well, I, I'm never really going to agree with somebody getting less than two years on the job. I, I just, I, I first, first and foremost, that, that just sort of doesn't sit well with me. Um, that said, uh, you know, it, it probably was the right move. I mean, there, there were enough, um, red flags that, that, you know, obviously this team just has not looked, uh, as good as, it, as good as it should. Um, they've looked undisciplined at times. Um, they've had, you know, a, a ton of costly pen- penalties, silly penalties, undisciplined penalties, um, they have had uh, some miscues, lots of miscommunication on uh, special teams, you know, not getting the right personnel out, having to waste time out, stuff like that. You know, little things that just uh, can can just really um, sort of poison a, a team in, in, in a lot of ways and just sort of uh, start to, you know, if you can't get the little things right, how are you going to get the big things right? And, and that was, uh, I think, probably... Um, the biggest 
problem. Um, anytime, uh, kind of going back to what I said about not having two years, um, everything obviously goes out the window if there's some sort of, uh, you know, off field issue that wasn't the case here, uh, or if a coach just loses the locker room. And I'm not sure that was the case here either. I mean, the, the, the little things obviously are a problem, but, um, we saw a lot of players come out, uh, in support of Taggart afterwards, you know, that's not always a, a perfect indicator of, uh, kind of how respected he was or, or anything like that. But, um, I, I, you know, honestly, it just doesn't really sit well with me for somebody to get fewer than than two full years. I think probably three, you know, really is is kind of what, uh, you know, af- after year three, fine. You know, if things are moving in the right direction, I totally get it. Uh, but the middle of year two just doesn't really sit well with me. But, you know, uh, on the other hand, there's a lot of empty seats out there. There's a lot of disgruntled uh, fans. Boosters are, are, you know, something that unique to college football or, or college sports you have to uh pay attention to and and those uh people were turning on taggart uh in droves and and that's something that you know the administration has to navigate so i understand why they did why they made the, the decision um it, it's not really one that uh i like but um you know now they have an opportunity to to maybe get uh you know the the uh, when you move from a national championship head coach, and and the the, it's been well documented that Jimbo Fisher didn't leave the best situation. They've had a lot of academic issues, some roster issues, things like that. But uh, there's there's often a uh, you need a guy in the middle to sort of. Uh, strip things down. If, if a rebuild is necessary, you kind of need a guy in the middle to do some of the dirty work. And I think Taggart was tasked Helton, with that. If you will. Sure. Um, and, and you know, yeah. somebody that to clean up the academic side, it sounds like Taggart really made uh, some moves in the right direction there. Um, uh, but then it, it, you need somebody else to sort of get you over the top. And it seems maybe Florida state's in that situation. Hopefully they can get, um, you know, the, the right hire who can come in and, and sort of rejuvenate the program. I think we all agree, uh, college football is better if Florida state is, uh, a contender, you know, and, and certainly, uh, would like to see the ACC raise its level. Uh, Florida state will be a big part of that. Um, hopefully Miami will continue to, to move in the right direction. Maybe this is a, uh, you know, big win for them, maybe a stepping stone to, to give them momentum the rest of the way. Uh, and, and hopefully it'll help pull the league up, but, um, yeah, long, long rambling answer. Don't love the, the decision to get rid of them after two years. I do understand it, but now that it's done, you know, now you got to get the right guy in there and, and, you know, fix this thing. Yeah. I mean, you know, like, like you kind of mentioned here, it's, uh, it's not all, you being a head coach isn't all about wins and losses, but to boosters it is. And if you're not doing the job, you're going to get replaced. And that's kind of what happened to Taggart here. It's unfortunate that it happened, but I mean, you could see it coming a mile away. You know, you just can't yeah. play that bad and be acceptable at a place like Florida state. It's just not going to happen. So uh, I was not shocked by it, by the move at all, but it does kind of suck. And look, if you know, if Willie Taggart was coaching the Steelers, he'd be there for uh, a decade at least. So they don't <laughs> give up on, on coaches. But uh, uh, Florida State and college just organizations in general do. So not surprising to see. I, I'm I'm uh, excited to see where he winds up next and to see if he can 
uh, turn whatever program they give him around. So uh, going to have Do to you, take a step back and climb back up. So I was going to ask first first idea of where you think first idea coach to replace him at Florida State. Uh, oh, for uh, the his replacement? Well, they're saying yeah. Bob Stoops has already like agreed. Wow! Like no, no, done. I think I think that has been has it been dispelled. Uh, well, it's it's so it's it's definitely been a heavy rumor, uh, but uh, yeah, Herb Street um, said that he spoke directly with Stoops, who denied it. You know, obviously that that's not always. Uh, if a coach says, "Oh, I'm not going there," it doesn't doesn't always doesn't mean, mean that yeah. he's not. <laughs> but um, uh, it it seems from from sort of more people that I uh, know and sort of trust their their words, some reporters close to Oklahoma and things like that have, have uh, said they've spoken with him and just get the indication that it's not going to be him. Uh, it's it's trending in my mind toward uh, maybe a Mark, uh, a Mark Stoops. Um, yeah, that'd be nice. Which isn't going to energize maybe a whole lot of people, but he does have a connection to Florida State, has done uh, really a pretty impressive job at Kentucky overall, um, so probably would be a very good hire. But um, a team that we're going to talk about a, a little bit later here has a head coach that I think um, the, the more I look at him and, and sort of what his team is doing um, – I just am, am blown away, and, and obviously there have been plenty of people who've been impressed with what Matt Rule has done at Baylor, uh, the NFL included, mm-hmm. and, and if that's a, uh, a draw to him, um, you know, uh, Florida State maybe is, is uh, somebody that or, or is one of those programs, one of those top-tier uh, potential programs that you could say, all right, you know, I do have NFL aspirations perhaps, but this is kind of a once in a lifetime opportunity. This is a championship, a national championship contending program. Um, Matt Rule, I think, would would be an incredible hire there, and uh, could could help right the ship. Uh, just based on what we've seen, his last two stops in this Baylor uh, rebuild is is beyond impressive, in my opinion. Uh, so I think I think he's someone that that um, should be given heavy consideration, and and uh, hopefully if if you know, that would be somebody that the fan base would rally around uh, if he were to show an interest and, and become the guy. But, uh, you know, Stoops, I think, is is maybe, um, uh, you know, shoot shoot for it. If he, you know, make, make him say no, sure. Um, but Got to uh, coax him out of the XFL. Right, exactly, exactly. <laughs> so, um I, I, you know, based on again what I've I've read is is he likes the idea of uh, you know coaching the XFL short season get to get you know don't have to worry about recruiting don't have to uh, you know put in all the the crazy hours college coaches put in so uh, if if he wants you know another shot at at, at a national championship obviously this is uh, the opportunity for that but uh, you know I I, I would not. Uh, I, well, put it. I would be shocked probably if if he uh, does come out of retirement and, and take this job. It just, for whatever reason, that that just doesn't seem very likely to me. But I've I've obviously been uh, wrong plenty of times before. So uh, make him say no, sure. But but if he does, uh, you could do worse than than his brother Mark, and uh, you could you could certainly do worse than somebody like Matt Rule. Did you have anyone in mind, Xavier? Maybe like a Mike Norvell or somebody like that. 
personally, I thought that uh, Terry Bowden was an was a case at some point. Um, I I just I feel like they're going to make a move that re-energizes the program by name. I don't know necessarily. I don't see them making a move that doesn't re-energize the program by picking a guy who obviously like a Matt Rule who maybe doesn't have the, who doesn't carry a pedigree. I think that they're going to be looking for a pedigree guy. Obviously, you hear the rumblings of Urban Meyer. I don't think that's going to happen. I don't think he'd nah. do that. I don't think he'd do that, and I don't think the the university necessarily, after what happened with Jimbo, wants to go back to a guy who doesn't care about academics or what his players do off the field too much. Um, but Terry Bowden's been in coaching since forever, um, and he's never had that big move. Like obviously. Terry Bowden? Mm-hmm. <laughs> who, got, who mm-hmm. uh, I, I believe, yes, mutually it was mutually agreed that uh, he and Akron would part ways last year. Hey, I mean, <laughs> he's now an assistant at Clemson. If hey, okay, the Cardinals hired name. Cliff Kingsbury, so nothing's out of the possibility. Yeah. I mean, by name, it, it re-energizes the program simply off of his dad's last name. Let's but but it wasn't there like, and I don't mean to pile on here, Xavier, but wasn't there some weirdness? With uh, Bobby Bowden leaving, didn't they strip him from a couple wins because something happened and he well, was bitter about it or something? And he didn't want to leave in 09. He wanted to get to his 35th year at the program, and they kind of forced him out. Um, since then, he's uh, what's his name? He's reconciled with the program, so they're back on good terms. But okay, yeah, there were, uh, I yeah. guess I didn't hear about that. But I, I just I see him uh, spending a lot of time in West Virginia, so uh, I wasn't <laughs> sure if he had reconciled or not. So yeah. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, there's going to be a lot of interesting names that that's the, uh, the nice part about this. And, and luckily it, if they don't hire someone immediately, um, we get to talk about this all off season long too, until they <laughs> hire someone. So needs True. to be quick though. It does need to be quick for recruiting and all that stuff. So, yeah, uh, absolutely. But let's get over to week 11 and talk about some of these games here. And the first one that we have is Baylor taking their 8-0 record on the road against TCU. They're only two-and-a-half-point favorites. And it opened as only a one-point favorite, according to Vegas. The over's 48 here, Nick. Uh, undefeated Baylor and your favorite coach, Matt Rule, uh, against <laughs> TCU. What do you think here? Well, it's, it's interesting. So I, I think back to the offseason when I was talking a lot about, you know, a team like Stanford was was top of mind for me because uh, our numbers were much higher on Stanford than anybody else. And I was very nervous about that. And obviously, for good reason, they've fallen flat uh, for most of the year. Uh, bouncing back a little bit. We'll see how they finish. But, um, you know, that that was a team that that stuck out to me as as uh, made me nervous because we were just so much different than everybody else. Virginia was a similar situation, but on the other end, we were much lower on Virginia than everybody else. By now, I feel pretty good about that. Um, they they've been good. They you know have have had some good wins, but they are not you know necessarily a uh, top twenty, top fifteen type team that a lot of people thought they could be in the preseason. Baylor uh was kind of along the lines of Stanford. I, I didn't talk about it enough and in part it's because uh, their um, overall team strength rating or our overall power ranking um, was dragged down a little bit because Matt rule did not have a great head coach rating. He was uh, about a 78. Um, in the preseason, which is uh, in the bottom half 
of the country. And, and the way that we calculated the uh, head coach ratings has to do a lot with, um, you know, career record, your, your on-field performance. And he had uh, a bad year getting things off the ground at Temple and uh, really, you know, 1-11 his first year at Baylor. And, and so that really dragged that number down. But uh, it, it, every time I was, you know, looking through um, – my uh, power rankings database where I've got all the, you know, everything lined up, the the team strength ratings and the recruiting rankings and, and all that sort of stuff. And Baylor really ranks highly. I mean, right now they are number 11 in roster strength and that's climbed a little bit because they've had, um, you know, some players add some production points and, and things like that, but they were still, you know, a, a, a legitimate top 20 team as far as their overall roster strength coming into the season. And I, I, I kicked myself a little bit that I wasn't talking about it enough because uh, our numbers liked Baylor a lot. They've, they've liked Baylor week to week. Um, we've, we've had Baylor a couple of times as one of those uh, where the wrong team is favored. And then Baylor's obviously come out on top, stayed undefeated. Um, they've played like a top 10 team. They're number nine in team performance. Um, they are number nine in the country in net yards per play. They are outgaining opponents by uh, over 2.3 yards per play, which which is elite. I mean, top 10 level. Um, and, you know, factor in now rules uh, head coach rating because obviously great season this year. He's up to an 82.26, which is uh, just slightly above average. I mean, 56th. And he's a better coach than that, obviously. I mean, he's he's been uh, the couple of different teams from the NFL have reached out in the last couple of years. Um, he's doing really some some really progressive things uh, in recruiting. They are uh, diving deep in uh, a lot of metrics, you know, speed metrics. Uh, they are sometimes offering a kid without ever even uh, seeing him play football based on his uh, performance in track meets, high school track meets. And, and they're, they're basically just saying, we want the best athletes we can get, whether they're, you know, four stars, two stars, no stars, whatever, give a speed, give a size. They are, they are just going after, you know, okay, you're, you're, you know, six, five, two Hey, how about a scholarship to Baylor? Get on campus and, and we'll make you a football player. That kind of thing. That's probably oversimplifying it, but everything that I've, I've read and heard is, is pointing toward uh, he and his coaching staff are going out and getting a lot of uh, project players and they're confident enough in their coaching ability that they can develop those players into, you know, big time college football players. And, and it's early, but it's working so far. And I've been incredibly impressed with Baylor, with Matt Rule. And uh, one thing that that really sticks out to me on his coaching resume is he's coached both sides of the ball. And I think that's something that's really underrated um, when we're talking about head coaching candidates in college football and i'm sure we will spend a lot of time talking about head coaching candidates uh as the season comes to a close and you you sometimes you sometimes get you know the hot coordinator who has just you know been lighting up the scoreboard or, or whatever uh but they basically have been you know a quarterback's coach their entire career and that's important most important position on the field obviously and, and being able to call 
an offense is important, but having an all-around knowledge of the game that you can, you know, gain over years of coaching uh, on offense, on defense, on special teams. Matt Rule has also been a special teams coordinator. Um, so his, his resume really speaks to me because he started out as a linebackers coach. Then he coached defensive line for, uh, looks like, three years. Linebackers. I mean, not only did he coach on defense, but he coached every level of the defense just about. Um, he's been, uh, you know, after his sixth year in college coaching, flipped over to offense, became an offensive line coach. He's coached quarterbacks. He's coached uh, uh, tight ends. He's been in the NFL. He spent one year with the New York Giants as, a, as an assistant offensive line coach. So um, that to me is very impressive. He's got the ability to coach anybody on the field and that's somebody you want sitting at the head of the table. Um, and, and that's somebody that I trust when they're going to, you know, go out and, and evaluate, you know, kids just based on, uh, some of these metrics, just some of these, uh, athleticism, you know, uh, points, uh, criteria. Uh, I trust a guy that, that sort of has this, this resume. He's got a, a band of coaches that have been with him for a long time. He's got results turning teams around, and, and Baylor has played like a top 10 team. So, uh, anyway, they play TCU this week. Uh, <laughs> and <laughs> they're a two and a half point favorite, as you mentioned. Uh, and uh, I think they're going to win. <laughs> I um, look, uh, you know, if Matt Rule is looking for a new job, what he should do is just take the audio of the last three minutes right. and send it to a team. Like that's the that's the most compelling case ever. I mean, uh, Xavier, do you love Matt Rule as much as uh, Nick does? I don't know if his family does. Uh, yeah, I, I, Nick. Wedding bells are going off. Um, no, not at all. Um, I like Baylor in this game, though. I, I think that uh, this isn't the game I'm pointing to them being upset. Uh, but we'll get to that game when it, when it comes. But I think that they, they're going to handle business against a TCU side that's been relatively up and down. They're one in three in their, of their last four and in the games that they've lost. They've lost pretty handedly. Uh, the only game that they've won in that span was against Texas. Sorry to rub that in. Mm-hmm. I didn't mean to do that. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't see t- TCU having the, the wow factor. And I don't see Baylor overlooking TCU this week uh, with Oklahoma next week um, on the 16th. Uh, I think Baylor uh, and, and and the beloved Matt Rule are gonna, is going to keep them their, their head screwed on straight, and I think they're going to go ahead and walk away with a pretty impressive victory, uh, just kind of showing the country why they deserve to be 11, um, especially after uh, what was a really should, what should have been should not have been such a close game against West Virginia. Um, I think that they're going to show the rest of the country that they deserve to be 11. So yeah, I, I think it's going to be a. Uh... I think it's going to be more of a blowout than two and a half. Yeah. I like TCU, yeah. but uh, we've got uh, Duggan's banged up, right? Didn't he? Uh, somebody DM me and told me that he banged his hand on um, uh, offensive lineman's helmet uh, in the mm-hmm. last game. He's so. banged up. Uh, their backup, Mike Collins, is banged up. Uh, Alex Delton transferred or, or put his name in the transfer portal. Uh, Justin Rogers put his name in the transfer portal. So they've got their their top two quarterbacks are questionable, but probably 
probable. Yeah. Uh, and then it jumps down. Oh, Matthew Baldwin, the Ohio State transfer, is uh, doing a medical red shirt. So uh, it's it's two banged up guys. And the sixth guy on the depth chart is is their situation at quarterback. So uh, that that's a bit shaky. Um, and uh, yeah, Duggan, if if he's not a hundred percent, that that makes me like Baylor uh, even more. I think. Yeah, and so I think this is going to be uh, a Baylor butt kicking, but we'll see how it uh, how it ends up turning out here. Now the next game is um, how how would I describe this game? Uh, a boring, <laughs> fun game, I think is how I describe it, because we're going to get all kinds of running in the uh, Iowa at Wisconsin game. Uh, uh. The over is 38 points. Xavier already hates it. Uh, the over is 38 points, so nice and low scoring. Uh, hopefully there's some weather here. I haven't heard anything, but that would be nice. Uh, but Wisconsin coming in. Nine and a half points. They they are coming off a bye in two disappointing losses. So they got to be coming in here pissed. So that that makes me think that this is a viable line here. Nick, how do you see this one going? Well, so uh, Kirk Ferentz, Iowa head coach, is, is sort of the opposite of Matt Rule as far as our head coach ratings go. Um, he is He came into the season with over a 90 and, and was the top-rated coach guy in the Big Ten, which to me was was a bit of a surprise, and, and perhaps uh, I'm going to have to look at the formula a little bit over the <laughs> over the offseason, but uh, but, you know, on, on the other hand, that's uh, that's somewhat deserve it because Iowa uh, based on their, you know, recruiting ratings is, is not a super talented team, and in roster strength, they rank 53rd in the country, 10th in the Big Ten. So uh, for them to be a legitimate top 20 team, which I believe they are, obviously coaching and development has, has played a key role. And, you know, they, they've been uh, unspectacular on offense. They, they rank 81st in yards per play. Um, but the last couple of weeks, Wisconsin has seen their offensive production, especially their uh, explosiveness, uh, just come you know, down and down and down. Early in the year, they were uh, among the nation's leaders in net yards per play. Obviously, their defense has played a big role in that as, as uh, ranked among the top one or two uh, in the country in yards per play all year. But uh, in conference play, they've only averaged 5.35 yards per play, which ranks 81st among all teams that are that are uh, in conference play. And, and it's uh, a drop down from they were... 21st uh, just a few weeks ago, averaging over uh, almost seven yards per play. So uh, against stronger competition and tougher defenses, Wisconsin has not uh, been able to move the football consistently. And that's a problem because Iowa is solid on defense. I mean, they rank uh, 11th in yards allowed per play. Um, so this is, this is going to be a fairly... Uh, even matchup and and Wisconsin is a little more talented player to player they rank 27th in roster strength so uh you know that that's significant but uh we do give current Ferentz an edge in in coaching um his his uh head coach rating is is a bit higher than Paul Chris so uh I was a bit shocked that this line uh one started at eight and then has moved up almost to 10 I I I see this being a very low scoring game. I see two uh, pretty evenly matched 
teams. I, I don't. I know that Jonathan Taylor is uh, one of the best running backs in the country, and and arguably one of the best running backs in college football history, but we've seen him be shut down this year. And, and I'm not so sure that I was not going to be able to keep him in check. And, and I think you're right. I think there will be uh, some weather. I know it's going to be cold in the upper Midwest uh, on Saturday. It, it probably in the thirties um, for the highs. So, uh, you know, that that's an issue. I think there is a chance of snow. Uh, I heard for the Minnesota game, so that would make me think that it's potential in Wisconsin as well a little later in the day. So um, that to me doesn't necessarily uh, speak to one team beating another by double digits. So uh, I I was pleased that uh, our projection came to uh, Wisconsin as, as you know, favored and and rightly so. They are probably the better team, but uh, we only have them favored to win by six. Final score prediction is is Wisconsin twenty and Iowa fourteen. And and uh, part of that is uh, Kirk Ferentz is is we give him the benefit of the doubt more often than not. He finds a way a lot of the time to uh, similar to some other coaches we've talked about in the past, sort of ugly up a game, keep it close get it to the fourth quarter and give your chance a team or give your team a chance to uh, win it late. And, and that this seems like that kind of game, because I don't think Wisconsin is going to dictate the tempo. I don't think they're going to, uh, you know, impose their will and, and just sort of uh, race out to any big lead. I just haven't seen that from them in big 10 play. So uh, obviously Wisconsin has, has been very good this year. Uh, Iowa is solid. I think it's a pretty evenly matched uh, game. Wisconsin with the home field advantage, slight talent advantage, should win, but I think it'll be close. Xavier, how do you see this one playing out? It's interesting to me that uh, Nick is firmly on the Iowa side. I feel like I'm on the Wisconsin side because I don't know that we can discredit the four shutouts that they had. And I'm not saying right. that Nick was, but I think that coming off a of bye week, being pissed, playing at home, I think it all adds up to a Wisconsin butt kick in here. So what do you think about this one? Yeah, I think, I think Wisconsin is going to win this game by a lot. Um, as much as you can get by a lot in a, in a big 10 game, which is probably going to be 14 points. <laughs> uh, right. That, but, that's a, uh, that's an ass kicking in, in uh, <laughs> exactly. the big 10, right? That, that's domination. Um, but yeah, I think Wisconsin is going to be a pissed off team that has essentially blown away their chance at any type of uh CFP appearance or um, an opportunity uh, in the Big Ten championship game. Although, you know, we'll see coming up how Minnesota decides to pan out. They're still second in their division. Uh, so that's all that they're playing for right now. And they understand that they've got four Big Ten games left. Uh, their, st- their season still hangs in the balance, but that their season is pretty much over if they lose this game. They'll be 3-3 three and three in the conference, 6-3 and three overall, and Iowa will jump them on head-to-head. Um, and on conference record, uh, essentially saying no to them making any type of run to the Big Ten championship game and giving them t- giving them a chance to win the Big Ten. Uh, I think they're going to give the ball to Jonathan Taylor a lot. I think their defense is going to get back to what they do. And um, I think Iowa, I don't trust them. Uh, the last time that they played a defense, I guess, I won't even say equal to, definitely not as good, but um, at least on paper looks relative to in Michigan. They only were able to put up three points. That was also on the road. Um, and that final score was 10-3. And, and I would say that Wisconsin off, Wisconsin's offense um, this season has shown itself to be more consistent than Michigan's at times. Um, and so I see Wisconsin absolutely, uh, you know, doing doing a, doing a job this week against Iowa. 
I think Wisconsin is the better of the two teams. Uh, I think that in this game, you definitely have to take home field advantage into account. Uh, if Wisconsin was going on the road, you would you would be getting a reeling team coming to your home place if you were Iowa. However, being at home just allows you to play a little bit more relaxed, a little bit more comfortable, um, especially for that fan base, which isn't a very volatile one. It's not a very um, angry one at all. You won't see them being booed at any point like you may be seeing like a Florida State or something like that or even out of Georgia, which happened a couple weeks ago. Uh, I think Wisconsin handles business and uh, gets back on track uh, trying to make a late push for the uh, the Big Ten championship game. Uh, going to be a fun one for sure. And for the record, Nick, you still had uh, Wisconsin winning this game. So just not beating this yeah. nine and a half point spread. Uh, Correct. Penn State on the road against Minnesota. Penn State coming in ranked number five, not, uh, six and a half point favorites in this one. Forty seven and a half is the over. Both 8-0, Nick. Going to be a fun, fun game. And I believe this is the early game with LSU-Bama being the afternoon game. So uh, what? how do you see this one playing out? I'm really excited for this game. Um, I've, I've been high on Penn State, uh, especially their defense, for, for several weeks now. And I believe Minnesota, um, though, you know, probably not. Uh, yeah, 8-0 is a bit misleading. Uh, they have had uh, some very close calls against some questionable uh, opposition early in the year. Their non-conference games, I mean, they, they were taken uh, to the wire by South Dakota State. They were taken to the wire by Georgia uh, Southern and Fresno State. So uh, that is not particularly impressive. However, uh, in Big Ten play, and again, uh, they, they have not exactly played uh, the cream of the crop in the Big Ten, but uh, they have been much, much better. And and I did do, uh, I, I went through and, and uh, on the uh, team performance uh, database for our patrons can, can see uh, every team score, uh, every game grade the, the entire year and sort of how that stacks up. Uh, I went through and, and took an average of the last four weeks. Sometimes I, I like to sort of get a, a sense of, which teams have been overperforming their season average or underperforming their season average recently. And, you know, can that tell us something? And Minnesota is certainly a team that has uh, been much better over the last month than they were early in the year. And, and to me, that's, that's a very good sign. Um, they uh, actually rank number eight in the country uh, over the last four weeks as far as team performance. So they played like a top 10 team and, uh, you know, over the last month. So in a sense, that high ranking is, is uh, somewhat deserved. But uh, on the other hand, uh, our, our numbers, our power uh, ratings still only have Minnesota 22nd and uh, they are 40th in roster strength. So uh, they're, they're a good team, but they are not a great team. Uh, they have played great of late against shaky competition, but uh, I am interested to see. Uh, I, I do sort of, for whatever reason, kind of like P.J. Fleck. I, I, I like his shtick for whatever yeah. reason. I, I, uh, I get that it's corny, um, but I don't know. I, I just... It works. I... I it's yeah, it, 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 it seems to. I mean, he they built just, just got Western him a seven-year extension, so it works. <laughs> yeah, uh, and he built Western Michigan into the most talented team in the MAC, and and obviously uh, took them to um, the New Year's Six. And this turnaround in Minnesota, I think, is quicker than anybody expected. Um, he he has uh, increased the talent level. Uh, 
much, much more. Uh, they have much more talent on hand now than they did two or three years ago. And, and you know, they're, they have an opportunity to show that they uh, are a force to be reckoned with. I mean, if they were to win this game, uh, it's looking pretty good that they would get to the Big Ten championship game. I know they still have Iowa and Wisconsin, but uh, you win this game, you could split those and, and you're in. Um, and, and even if you uh, lose this game, you know, split those, there's a good chance. So um, Minnesota has a, a real opportunity here, and Penn State is very good, but they also are not a great team. We only have them ranked 10th in our overall team strength ratings. Uh, they have played like a top 10 team over the last month as well. They're actually one spot ahead of Minnesota, so they are clicking on all cylinders coming into this game. Uh, and defensively, they're one of the best of the best. So uh, I do want to see Minnesota, how they stack up. They've got great receivers. They've got uh, the running back depth chart goes on to the second page. It's so long. And, uh, you know, they, they've got weapons. Uh, the weather, as we, we discussed briefly in the, you know, the last game could be an issue. See it potentially as a, a pretty low scoring game uh, because, you know, if, if the wind's picking up, if it's cold, uh, chances are, uh, it's going to be one of those sort of messy Big Ten games, low scoring. But, uh, you know, I, I'm just I'm really excited to watch this because uh, I want to see, you know, what what are these two teams going to be? <laughs> we you know, we haven't seen either of them really, really. I mean, Penn State's been tested. They, they were tested by Michigan. Just and, say and you want to Michigan. see who the bigger fraud is. That's exactly <laughs> yes. what you mean. You. Come on. <laughs> Who's the bigger fraud? Uh, and, and I don't think either of them are a fraud, are but I think alert. I think Minnesota <laughs> is perhaps uh, more fraudulent. Go ahead, say <laughs> is is Can't less. Get out of your head now, right? <laughs> mm, yeah, I, I think there's a chance that Minnesota is is maybe. Uh, you know, maybe this is too much too soon for right. Minnesota. It's it's possible. Mm-hmm. They are only a top 40 team as far as their talent goes and as far as my numbers go. So uh, there's a big gap there. Penn State is is uh, a uh, top 20 team in, in roster strength. So uh, I, I, I want to see, you know, what that home atmosphere looks like. Biggest game they've had in, in quite some time. Big stage. Uh, uh, great noon kickoff for for the first time in a while uh so i'll be you know happy to have a a premium game to watch in that window but uh long story short expect it to be a a pretty close game where we are uh pretty impressed with minnesota and and the way that they've played on the field this year admittedly the competition has not been great so keep that you know that's a factor but uh, our numbers project Penn State to win. But for Minnesota to keep it close, we've got the final score at 21-17. I think Penn State probably keeps the, the uh, Minnesota offense in check, does enough on offense themselves. Sean Clifford does enough. Um, the, that running rotation, running back rotation does enough. Penn State gets out of there with a win, stays undefeated, sets up a huge uh, matchup with Ohio State coming up. And, uh, Xavier, how do you see this game playing out? Does Minnesota have a chance? I think they have a chance because they're at home. Um, I think when you're at home in college football, crazy things happen. Um, I was watching a video on what happened in the year of 2007. 
um, with all the upsets that happened that year. The year and you were born. I, <laughs> oh, yeah, oh, nice. Oh, nice. Oh. How old do I? I, I knew what, 12. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, um, anything can happen. I think that Minnesota has an opportunity to beat a team who has yet to play a complete game of football. And if Penn State, you know, starts slow or allows Minnesota to hang around like they've allowed Michigan, um, like they allowed Michigan to do and they, and they kind of allowed Michigan State to do in the second half, uh, I think that they could get beat this week. Um, I think that Penn State will show me a lot this week. I know, obviously, their game against Ohio State will show me the most. Um, but with them being ranked four right now, all the pressure on them is to succeed and succeed very well. Because uh, you've got a team in Clemson that probably will not lose another game throughout the season, uh, beating down your, you know, beating down your net for the for for what you could think there is the rest of the year. And the only way Penn State's going to stay in front of them is if they win and win, you know, win large. Uh, I think right now what you have to think is is, is you got a Minnesota team who's high on confidence. Um, I know that they haven't played anybody yet this year, but th- that they don't care about that. They've beaten the people who are in front of them. Um, you know, um, they're coming off of two games where the defense was able to hold the opposing team under 13 points. Their offense was able to score 40 plus. Things are looking really good for them. Um, you know, and once again, thank you to the schedule makers for making this a noon kickoff so we could get something early on in the day. Uh, <laughs> but I think what you what you have to see here is, is you see a Minnesota team with high confidence. Playing a Penn State team who people feel are battle-tested, but I'm waiting for them to, you know, play a complete game. And so, yeah, to an extent, yeah, I, this is a uh, who, who's the least fraudulent and who can put it all together for, for you know, 60 minutes um, against, you know, Minnesota against real competition. And Penn State, can you play 60 minutes of football instead of 30 or 35? Um so, yeah, I'm going to go with Penn State here just because I think they're the more talented team and I think they're the more battle-tested team. Uh, however, don't be surprised. I, I would not be surprised in the least bit if Minnesota comes to play, that home foot advantage uh, allows them or pushes them to a win, and that they win it by you know by storming back in the second half. Um, and, and, and best believe, next week's podcast, I will be on here talking about how fraudulent the Nittany Lions are. Uh, <laughs> And, and if Minnesota loses, then for me, it, it, it wouldn't have been a surprise. I, the pressure is all on Penn State here. Yeah, to, to I, six- that's a good point to make. I, I think you're at 150,000 percent right on that. It is all all the pressure is on Penn State. So uh, if they don't win, it's it, they're choking. And if they win, yeah, well, you should have beat them anyway. So right. it, it's it, all the pressure is on Penn State. So. I think that's going to be uh, a real fun game to watch. I have got Penn State, but I have no idea on the line. Like, I would not put any money on that one. It makes me super nervous. But I tell you what, LSU and Alabama, Bama already favored by six and a half. This is a game that we've pretty much been looking forward to uh, ever since LSU beat Texas. Kind of we knew they were for real and and, and all that stuff. So this has been – the game that we've been looking forward to the most in college football this season. Nick, how do you see this one playing out? Because I don't know that you see it as very close. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I was surprised because I uh, went through and, and obviously, you know, if you've, if you've listened to this before, you know that uh, sort of by, by big thing that I, I work through day to day is uh, what I call it, FBS team profiles. And it's got um, a full roster 
uh, she's got recruiting ratings and, and, you know, do some, some different formulas, throw them in there. And it gives us an overall player rating for each player. And, and so go through and make note of injuries, make note of, uh, personnel changes, transfers, all that sort of stuff. And, and Alabama obviously, uh, has the biggest, most important injury, uh, in college football right now with quarterback to a Tango Bailoa, uh, having ankle surgery just a couple of weeks ago. All indication is, you know, he's back and healthy. He'll be fine. He'll be out there. He'll start. Uh, things are looking good. But uh, ankles are, are tricky. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, surgery, whatever it is, two weeks ago, I don't know. If, I don't care if you had your tonsils out. It, it's going to perhaps <laughs> uh, be an issue, you know, trying to play a football game in two weeks against uh, arguably the number one or number two team in the country and and uh so factoring that in we we you know Tua obviously is a 100 rated player that's our maximum overall rating uh but because I don't I don't necessarily trust somebody to tell me like oh yeah practice he's looking good good to go I, I don't necessarily trust to that. say nah he looks like crap <laughs> right I exactly mean, so uh, so, so we do have uh, it split. Do factor Mac Jones as, as you know, factor his rating in a little bit higher than we normally would uh, the starter against Arkansas, and, and he was great, by the way. Um, you know, so so it's not like Alabama is just going to be completely lost should to a uh, you know uh, re-injure something, God forbid, or, or um, you know, not be 100 percent and have to, uh, you know, come off the field from time to time. So uh, keep that in mind. You know, that this isn't Alabama at full strength. They're there. Uh, they would be number one in our overall power ratings if if Tua was fully healthy. He is not. So they are number two. Um, so keep that in mind. Najee Harris, the, the running back and, and their top ball carrier uh, was banged up a little bit here that he's fine. I, I do trust that a little bit more uh, Devonta Smith. Who's, who's, you know, had a couple of huge games this year, a little bit banged up their center, Chris Owens, a little bit banged up. Uh, so Alabama is not at full strength. On the other hand, LSU uh, lost a 100 rated linebacker. Michael divinity left the team earlier this week. Uh, that's a blow. It, it's not a huge blow. LSU obviously is very, very talented, and linebacker uh, is easier to overcome uh, that sort of loss than it is to your starting quarterback. Where LSU obviously has had uh, a, an excellent, you know, Heisman frontrunner, Joe Burrow. Um, but LSU also a little banged up in the secondary. Grant Delpit, uh, arguably the best defensive player in college football uh, coming into the year. This year he's had a couple of times where he wasn't uh, maybe playing up to that full potential, but he's still a, you know, a first round type guy an all American uh, excellent, excellent player. Not sure he's going to be at a hundred percent. They've been banged up a little bit on the defensive line. They've made some rotations uh, in the starting lineup for the offensive line. So, you know, LSU is, is as good as they are. Uh, they're not necessarily at, at their maximum, you know, maximum potential either. Uh, the way these teams rank as far as our numbers go, I said Bama's number two. LSU is actually number six in overall team strength, everything considered. We're a little bit lower on Ed Orgeron as a, as a head coach. I think he's a perfect fit. I think he's a great uh, motivator and all of that. But just based on his track record, that pulls him down just a little bit. Um, they're both top five in, te- uh, in roster strength. Um, Alabama would be number one 
if uh, everybody was healthy, but they're actually just number four. Uh, LSU is number five. Team performance, these two have played like the number two and number three teams in the country. Uh, LSU is uh, number three in team performance. Alabama is number two. And in my favorite metric, net yards per play, uh, Alabama has been the fourth best team in the country, 2.18 yards per play, outgaining their opponent, and LSU is number five. So these are very evenly matched teams. Uh, Alabama might actually even be banged up a bit more, especially with Tua uh, there. So... All that said, we've got Alabama favored by two touchdowns. <laughs> Alabama by two scores. I mean, all Alabama right. by two touchdowns. And 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 so I am high on LSU. Have been very impressed with them offensively. Uh, coming in in the preseason, we talked about how their defense rated as the number one defensive roster strength in the country. Uh, all that said, Alabama is is as far as our numbers go, the better team. And part of that is coaching. Uh, part of that is just depth. Um, Their Alabama has played better on the offensive line. That's a factor. Um, Alabama's secondary has been very good this year. The front seven worries me a little bit because they're starting uh, some young players that that you know Alabama has not played the the greatest of competition either. Um, so it worries me a little bit that that this is that you know the first real real challenge for them and and some of those young guys are are going to be in a big spot but player for player unit for unit just marking down the line as evenly matched as these teams are Alabama is just better at every spot and those little edges just add up over time and and put it all together and and throw it into our uh, projection model and Alabama is uh, favored to win this game 41-28 yeah, I feel like I'm disagreeing with Nick all over the place, but I, I for whatever reason, I feel like a battle-tested LSU team is going to come out on top here, and uh, I don't have nearly the numbers to back it up. That from and what, they might, uh, they might. LSU yeah. is is talented enough to beat anybody, and this is a different LSU than Alabama has faced in years past, and that counts for something. Right. I mean. You know, Nick Saban is is as great a, a mastermind as there is in college football. Give him two weeks, he could beat the New York Giants, I think. But you know, LSU is they do have the talent to compete. Anything can happen in a uh, college football game. So I would not at all be shocked if this score is flip flopped and LSU wins by a couple of touchdowns. It, that you know, uh, any outcome probably is not going to surprise me unless LSU wins. 45 to nothing, something like that. Right. But uh, just the, the way the numbers shake out, I was surprised that Alabama, we give them that big of an edge. Uh, I don't know fully if I trust it. I think maybe closer to 10, but I do think Alabama's clearly better than a, a, a touchdown better than LSU. I just think, you know, th- this team really just doesn't have a weakness. Even if Tua were out, we would have Alabama favored by more than a touchdown. So, wow. Okay. Uh, I didn't realize that even with Tua out, you would yeah, have, a it would, it would be about, it would be very close to that. Tua is worth about a touchdown in our, our, uh, numbers. But, uh, but yeah, if he were out, uh, the, uh, that we'd still be on, be on Alabama to win and, and probably cover. It'd be close. It'd be, it'd be right around that six and a half, but uh, I'll go ahead and say, yeah, probably we'd be favoring Alabama. Most fun game of the year, Xavier. How do you see this one going? It's the game of the century of the week. <laughs> um, I got LSU. 
I think that LSU is the more battle-tested team coming into this game. Um, I've liked what I've seen over L- uh, from LSU um, over the eight games that they've played this year. The offense, as we well know, have been explosive. But last week showed me a lot. It took, or excuse me, two weeks ago against Auburn showed me a lot. They showed me that they can get gritty um, and that they can, uh, you know, win out on a, against an Auburn team who maybe were offensively challenged, but definitely have a defense that can go with anybody in the country. Um, and, and they showed me that they can grind out a victory. And, I, and that was the one thing I was waiting to see from LSU this year was their ability to, to grind it out where, where the offense was going to sputter a bit and I need the defense to step up. And, and they did that against Auburn. They, they made plays. Uh, they were able to when, – when it was a quick change or sudden change from either a turnover or, or, you know, good field position for Auburn, the LSU's defense was able to hold. Um, and, and I think that coming into this game, you, you've got to think that Alabama right now is on pins and needles a little bit. You know, the last time Tua had an injury like this, he left the SEC championship game in the third quarter, I believe, and they were saved by Jalen Hurts. And, I, and, and you've got to think that LSU knows that his mobility will be limited, uh, which tells you that they're going to probably force him to, 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 to beat them going deep. Um, and Alabama's big plays this year have been weird. They, they've been a lot of dip it down to their, you know, track team of receivers and just watch them run. I think LSU understands that. And they're going to make them go 75 yards um, on 10 plays. And they're not going to give them the ability to, to beat them in one 65-yard touchdown or, you know, one big play by Ruggs or by Judy over the top. And I think that Alabama has yet to show me against um, – you know, a really, really talented LSU team. And, and and I'll be looking to see this is if they can go, you know, 75 yards, you know, drive after drive. And I think for the first time we see an LSU team who can score with them um, in the past. If Alabama scored a touchdown, it was tough to think LSU was ever going to be able to put up another, you know, get close. Well, didn't they shut um, them out in the national title game one yeah. year? I mean, come yeah. on. They, they didn't pass the 50 yard line right. until the, until the fourth quarter. Yeah. So, I think this year is a different LSU. I think that they can score with them. I think LSU is going to jump out to an early lead. And I think that from there, the LSU defense is just going to really force a hobble to a, uh, to, to, to beat them purely with his arm. Uh, last year's game, if I'm not mistaken, Tua really did a lot of his damage on the ground um, with LSU doing a pretty good job through the air, if I'm not mistaken. I, I, I may be uh, misstepping a little bit there. But I've got LSU here. I think they're the better of the two teams right now. They are the more battle-tested, and they've you know shown me everything I need to see from a national championship contender. Um, and Alabama, I'm still waiting a little bit. Uh, the offensive line has looked shaky. Uh, they look shaky against Duke. They look shaky against South Carolina. They even look shaky against Tennessee at times. Um, and we can all agree that those three teams don't have nearly the amount of talent that LSU has on their ball club. Uh, so I think LSU wins this ball game. Um, I don't know what when's the last time LSU went to Tuscaloosa and beat Alabama, uh, but it's the first time for everything. So I think uh, I think LSU gets it done here and moves to nine and zero. Oh, it's going to be a fun weekend. I can guarantee you that these games are going to be awesome. We probably could have gone through about uh, six or seven other games here, but we are absolutely out of time. Nick, why don't you uh, tell people about the Patreon before we get out of here? Yeah, so I mentioned it before and, and a few times the, the FBS team profiles, I think, are probably the best thing um, that we do that's available to our tier two patrons. So patreon.com slash CFB winning edge. Uh, join at tier two. That's uh, $15 per month. And that gives you access to view over 11,000 
uh, individual player ratings. It's got uh, all of our team strength ratings, roster strength, uh, team performance ratings are on there. Put all that in a, a little capsule at the top of each page. It's it's a uh, you know 130 different pages. Every team represented. Every player we try best we can to stay on top of injuries and personnel moves and uh, things like that. So uh, I think that that that's uh, your best option if you're interested in joining us. Uh, we do have uh, tier one and tier three with with different things there as well. If you have any questions on any of it, uh, you can reach out to me anytime uh, via Twitter, via the Patreon messaging system, or uh, cfbwinningedge at gmail.com. Pretty easy to get in touch with if you've got questions on any of those things, any of the tiers, what we're offering and why. All right. Well, that is going to wrap it up for us. Remember, you can find us all on the Twitter at cfbwinningedge, at Xavier underscore Trish, T-R-I-C-H-E, and at Bogman Sports. Good luck with all your bets this weekend, and we will see you guys next week. Take it easy, everybody.